What's up, QAA listeners? The fun games have begun. I found a way to connect to the internet. I'm sorry, boy. Welcome, listener, to Chapter 183 of the QAnon Anonymous Podcast, the Ukraine episode. As always, we are your hosts, Jake Rokotansky, Liv Agar, Julian Fields, and Travis View. I'm not going to lie, folks. We've been pretty apprehensive about covering the Russian invasion of Ukraine in any capacity. First off, we're not war reporters, nor do we really specialize in geopolitics. Secondly, it's rational to spread disinformation during a violent conflict, which means a massive amount of propaganda is produced during wartime. This makes parsing the perspective, intention, and factual accuracy of all the claims being made into a tricky, near-impossible process. But obviously this is a topic that's on many people's minds, and we eventually, after some struggle sessions, decided to cover it, but with a limited scope. So this week we'll be exploring the bioweapons lab claims that have been central to the recent information war between Russia and the West, and we're also going to cover the more ridiculous QAnon-style stories that have been floating around, like claims that Putin is in fact clearing the deep underground military bases to save the children before they're harvested for adrenochrome. Before we get started, um, I just want to state that uh, Jake will be fielding any complaints you have as a result of this episode, as he's by far the most informed on the war. You can email me at jake <laughs> at QAnonAnonymous.com. Uh, I will be fielding complaints and taking the brunt of all criticism uh, regarding the episode. That's wrong. His email is actually Julian at QAnonAnonymous. No, no, no. no. It's weird. They switched That's it around. That's not even my email. So complaints. That email doesn't go anywhere, so it's just, if you write to it, there's, yeah. no, there's no answer. That's jake at qanonanonymous.com. That's spelled J-U-L-I-A-N. <laughs> but Jake will answer whatever questions you got, like, oh, which podcast host is a good nationalist? Which one is a bad nationalist? Which one should be sent weapons? Which, one, which one has coffee? Do you have coffee? I do have a coffee. Who should be bombed? You. There, that's, see, I knew this would backfire. We should have not have done this episode. <laughs> Anyways, we're going to jump into it. Um, don't get mad at us. We're all sweet, innocent cherubs. Um, all right, let's do this. Bioweapons Labs. Yes, the big claims we've been hearing in QAnon world recently concern accusations of U.S.-run bioweapons labs in Ukraine. These also happen to be the claims we've been hearing from Fox News and state representatives from both China and Russia. The people making these claims, they often point to a statement made by Under Secretary of State Victoria Nuland to Senator Marco Rubio. Well, um, I only have a minute left. Let me ask you, um, does Ukraine have chemical or biological weapons? Uh, Ukraine has uh, biological research facilities which, in fact, we are now quite concerned Russian troops, Russian forces may be seeking to uh, gain control of. So we are working with the Ukrainians on how they can prevent any of those research materials from falling into the hands of uh, Russian forces should they approach. I'm sure you're aware that the Russian propaganda Groups are already putting out there all kinds of information about how they've uncovered a plot by the Ukrainians to release biological weapons in the country and with NATO's coordination. If there's a biological or chemical weapon incident or, uh, or attack inside of Ukraine, is there any doubt in your mind that 100 percent it would be the Russians that would be behind it? There is no doubt in my <laughs> mind, Senator, and it is classic Russian uh, technique to blame on the other guy what they're planning to do themselves. Damn, man. Yeah. So are you 100% sure that these barbaric 
<laughs> Slavic people uh, would be the evil ones doing the bad thing, and not us, of course. Victoria, listen. The floor is she yours. Was, she was under oath, so yeah, 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 yeah obviously. 100% non-questionably, no problem. So yeah, yeah, I, in my capacity as a guy with an internet connection and Adderall prescription, looked into this <laughs> accusation as best as I could. And I'm going to be real with you. I mean, I, I kind of hate like attempting to fact check claims about what governments might be up to right at this moment, because it's not like I can simply like trust what they're saying about themselves or others, especially when, you know, there's a hot conflict going on. And like Julian mentioned, you know, the propaganda is thick, you know, war. It produces a lot of things, orphans, refugees, trauma that will haunt this world for generations after the last bomb falls, but it also produces a lot of disinformation and propaganda, naturally, as it always does. It's just normal. But the short version about these claims is basically what you might have read from fact checkers on the issue. U.S.-funded biological research laboratories in Ukraine do exist, but no one has substantiated the claim that these laboratories are involved in biological weapons activity that violate the Biological Weapons Convention. Pointing to the existence of a laboratory that studies pathogens or infectious diseases is not by itself enough to prove that intentional offensive bioweapons research is going on. Further, the existence of these Ukrainian laboratories aren't secret, and direct accusations that they're involved in conventions breaking activity happen to coincide with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. What was craziest about that was that, like, Russia was, what, like, two weeks into their invasion, and they're like, oh, also, like, bioweapons. <laughs> we yeah. forgot to mention that. That was one of the reasons we invaded. That's basically, yeah, that's one of the issues with the problem, where, like, it kind of, like, slipped their mind until, until shortly after the inv invasion commenced, that this was an issue that they're extremely concerned about. Well, but also, it kind of stemmed from... The West starting to say, well, there's these, uh, you know, research facilities. The Russians are maybe going to take them and unleash bioweapons. We're scared of that or whatever. And then people yeah. were like, uh, well, what do you mean? Are there bioweapons there? And they're like, no. And then, of course, you know, cue the fucking marching band. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot more complex than like that, I guess, that top line fact check, I guess. Um, so I think it's helpful to provide some more historical context about why these accusations are being made and the general murkiness surrounding so-called biodefense research. And for me, at least, it raised the question of why exactly laboratories in Ukraine receive U.S. funding. And it all relates to the history of bioweapons and attempts at weapons nonproliferation after the end of what I'm calling Cold War I. <laughs> oh, fuck. This is also, by the way, kind of a nightmare to research because the supposedly best sources on the history of bioweapons uh, all have their own particular kind of credibility issues. For example, the most in-depth history of U.S. bioweapons programs is contained within the 2001 book called Germs, Biological Weapons in America's Secret War by Stephen Engelberg, William Broad, and Judith Miller. Now, the book itself, I think, is really uh, fascinating and eye-opening, but one of the co-authors, Judith Miller, resigned for her job at the New York Times in 2005 because she pushed inaccurate information concerning Iraq and WMDs. So, damn. I know. Too bad. It's almost like everybody was fucking doing that dumb shit. Yeah. And on the Soviet side, we get a lot of information about their bioweapons program from a defector named Ken Alibek. And Ken Alibek, um, which is his like, Americanized name, uh, actually was the first deputy chief for research in the Soviet biological weapons program, and he had unique insight into the program. But in America, once he arrived to the U.S., he made a lot of 
probably exaggerated claims about the Soviet program and the threat of bioterrorism in order to boost his status in Washington. In 2007, the LA Times ran a scathing investigation into Ken Alibeck's career called Selling the Threat of Bioterrorism. So yeah, it's just one of those situations where, of course, you're going to get more attention and credibility and get lots of people listen to you if you like make the most outlandish claims that you can. So We have succeeded no matter what in this episode because Travis is rolling in the mud. It's he's yeah. he's going to come out of this dirty and bruised. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so like getting like a comprehensive account, um, an accurate account of what actually went down with the history of bioweapons is, in my estimation, totally impossible. But uh, I'm going to try and give us sort of a brief overview of what we do now. So in the 20th century, bioweapons research among powerful countries was very common. In the U.S., the U.S. bioweapons facility uh, could be found at Fort Detrick in Maryland. In fact, thanks to the Senate Church Committee of 1975, we know that Fort Detrick and the CIA worked together to stockpile germs to cripple or kill foreign leaders. This partnership lasted from 1952 to 1970, but had zero known successes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. We got to look up those employee of the month placards. Mm. <laughs> Now, to cite one example, in uh, 1960, the Eisenhower administration was not very happy with the first elected prime minister of the newly independent Congo, whose name was Patrice Lumumba. U.S. policy circles were extremely paranoid about Lumumba's coziness with the Soviets. Fearing that Congo could go the way of Cuba, the CIA decided that all options were on the table for his removal. And so in September of 1960, the CIA sent a scientist, Dr. Sidney Gottlieb, to assassinate Lumumba. Now, you may know Sidney Gottlieb uh -huh. as the brains behind MKUltra, the uh, horrifying mind-controlled experiment program. Yeah. Taught in history classes everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody knows it. That would be amazing if they had, like, early history books for younger kids where there's, like, drawings of him, like, and then he's watching, you know, the men have sex with the sex workers, and he's <laughs> we... behind a two-way mirror, and... To get the job done, Sidney Gottlieb decided to use a botulinum toxin, which is, you know, nowadays more commonly known as Botox, uh, which he concealed in a diplomatic pouch. Um, he traveled to Congo on September 27th, 1960, and was received by Ambassador Lawrence Devlin, who was supposed to carry out the act. However, Devlin was unable to get close enough to Lumumba, so the toxin was dumped in a river. Oh, good. Oh, good. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, well, we, just, oh, just, oh, just poison the water supply then. Yeah, right, yeah. So uh, a few months later, Lumumba was captured and assassinated, but not by the United States, but rather by a militant secessionist supported by Belgium. But that's, that's a whole different rabbit hole. That's another mm -hmm. horrifying story. So mm -hmm. the Soviets, of course, had their own bioweapons program. One disaster from that program is a so-called Arlask outbreak of 1971. According to a report released in 2002, a ship doing ecological research sailed too close to a military smallpox test that sent out a deadly plume of germs infecting crew members who uh, carried the virus back to a city. This resulted in a smallpox outbreak that killed two children and a young woman before the health teams disinfected homes, quarantined hundreds of people, and administered nearly 50,000 emergency vaccine shots. Whoops. I know. In 1969, President Richard Nixon, after being in office for just 10 months, declared that the U.S. would renounce the use of lethal biological agents and weapons and all other methods of biological warfare. Now, this sounds, uh, you know, like it's possibly, you know, done in sort of like 
the spirit of like, you know, non-proliferation or something. But it's actually kind of like in the in the interest of the U.S. at the time, they decided because the thing about germs is that they're kind of like cheap to produce and, you know, munitions are expensive. So when you keep the price of war high, that benefits the most powerful countries. But, you know, still, still very much a good thing to reduce the amount of uh, biological warfare. So in response, Fort Detrick spent the next few years destroying their biological arsenal and converting to a biodefense program. And in 1972, the whole world got on board with this ban by signing the Biological Weapons Convention, which prohibits the development, production, acquisition, transfer, stockpiling, and use of biological and toxin weapons. All participating countries were supposed to be in compliance by 1975. And so, all the nations of the world follows conventions, concerns about biowarfare were a thing of the past, and we all held hands kumbaya. <laughs> Unfortunately, that was not the case. There were lots of problems with the Biological Weapons Convention. Um, it didn't really have any teeth. It's uh, filled with loopholes. No limits were set on the quantities of germs that could be used for research. No standards were stated for distinguishing between defensive and offensive work. And no <laughs> mechanisms of enforcement were established. That one, the whole, like, we're converting from offensive to defensive, but we're not going to define defensive. Yeah. That is, that is a big issue, I think, with this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Incredible. So over the decades, there have been eight review conferences that were intended to strengthen the convention, but there's still, even to this day, major problems with um, compliance and um, sort of being clear about what's permitted and what isn't. So as a consequence, not everyone followed the convention. Um, another church committee discovery was that even after Nixon's ban on bioweapons, the CIA kept a small arsenal of pathogen, germ toxins, and uh, other biological poisons that were strong enough to sicken or kill millions of people. You could read all about that in the 1975 Senate report titled Unauthorized Storage of Toxic Agents. <sighs> <laughs> I swear, that is the sound of the weight of oh, history on that Travis' really shoulders. <laughs> oh, man, I felt every, every ounce of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's right. There are hundreds of thousands of toxins, and it could end the world <laughs> it's, it's one drop. Horrifying <laughs> confusion. As recently as the 90s, the U.S. was engaged in biodefense research that, at the very least, walked right up to the line about what was permitted by the convention. Now, here's from a 2001 New York Times article headlined, U.S. Germ Warfare Research Pushes Treaty Limits. In a program codenamed Clear Vision, the Central Intelligence Agency built and tested a model of a Soviet-designed germ bomb that agency officials feared was being sold on the international market. The CIA device lacked a fuse in other parts that would make it a working bomb, intelligence <laughs> officials said. <laughs> there's no listen, fuse, we, guys. There's no fuse. You have to put the comically large fuse on the... It doesn't count. <laughs> At about the same time, Pentagon experts assembled a germ factory in the Nevada desert from commercially available materials. Pentagon officials said the project demonstrated the ease with which a terrorist or rogue nation could build a plant that could produce pounds of the deadly germs. Both the mock bomb and the factory were tested with simulants, benign substances with characteristics similar to the germs used in weapons, officials said. The agency's lawyers concluded that such a project was permitted by the treaty because the intent was defensive. Mm. Intelligence officials said the CIA had reports that at least one nation was trying to buy the Soviet-made bomblets. It's quite literally, Your Honor... The best defense is a good offense. <laughs> yes. It also makes it really funny that, that Newland was like, what the Russians do is they say the other person's doing what they're doing. 
And it's like, I think that's just kind of a pattern for these large powers uh, in their (laughs) propaganda. I have a sneaking suspicion that Julian is going to murder me in the middle of the night. Uh, so therefore, uh, under my bed, I tuck a automatic rifle, a <laughs> knife, a brass knuckles. Yeah. And you run simulations where you get someone to play me and you kill him. Yeah, I scan <laughs> Julian's head into NBA 2K. We go one-on-one. What? I simulate, the, I simulate okay. the battle ad nauseum. Now you're just breaking from reality. Everything is that game. That's it. <laughs> Help me. <laughs> um, but wait, there's more. A model was constructed, and the agency conducted two sets of tests at Battelle, the military contractor. The experiments measured the dissemination characteristics and how the model performed under different atmospheric conditions, intelligence officials said. They emphasized that the device was a portion of a bomb that could not have been used as a weapon. The experiments caused concern at the White House, which learned about the project after it was underway. Some aides to President Clinton worried that the benefits did not justify the risks, but a White House lawyer led a joint assessment by several departments that concluded that the program did not violate the treaty, and it went ahead. The questions were debated anew after the project was completed, this time without consensus. A State Department official argued for a strict reading of the treaty. The ban on acquiring or developing, quote, weapons barred states from building even a partial model of a germ bomb, no matter what the rationale. Quote, a bomb is a bomb is a bomb, another official said at the time. (laughs) Popeye's working for the Defense Department. (laughs) A bomb is a bomb. I am what I am. Um... The CIA continued to insist that it had the legal authority to conduct such tests, and, intelligence officials said, the agency was prepared to reopen the fight over how to interpret the treaty. But even so, the agency ended the Clear Vision project in the last year of the Clinton administration, intelligence officials said. Yeah, there's like a side note on that where, you know, that that thing about them thinking, oh, the bomblets are probably available on the international market. They tried to buy one and, and they failed. So then they were like, I guess we have to build a, the, the bomb that we know the Soviets have for ourselves, but with no fuse. No fuse. Yeah. I like that in some room in the White House at some point, Bill Clinton was like, well, I don't know. It doesn't seem like a very good idea to me. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to explain to Bill Clinton that it's not a bomb by being like, think about the difference between sex and heavy petting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like this this device, if, you know, can't call it a bomb. This device cannot fuck. I did not get (laughs) sucked off by this Soviet bomblet. (laughs) The book Germs also describes a 1998 program called Project Bacchus, which was a covert investigation by the Defense Threat Reduction Agency designed to determine if it was possible to build a germ weapon factory using commercially available materials. Pentagon lawyers reportedly reviewed the project and ruled that no harmful biological agents were being produced and therefore it was permitted by the treaty. And so at the Nevada test site, the DTRA employees built a lab using equipment from Lowe's hardware store. And um, <laughs> yeah, and they, they used this and they turned out about two pounds of reportedly innocuous bacteria that simulated anthrax. In the spring of 2001, DTRA found another use for this plant when a squad of military commandos attacked it in a mock raid, testing how well they could neutralize the plant without spreading any germs. Amazing. (laughs) That, I mean, amazing. Now, one of the, I think, perhaps the most concerning project from that book um, concerns a uh, 2001 biodefense project called 
Project Jefferson involved the production of a vaccine-resistant strain of anthrax bacteria. The purpose was to reproduce results of Russian research published by the journal Vaccine in 1997. The researchers inserted genes from the B. serious bacterium into the B. anthracius bacterium and showed that the engineered bacteria were highly lethal against hamsters even when they had been inoculated with Russia's standard anthrax vaccine. Again, uh, U.S. officials involved in Project Jefferson were reportedly mindful of the Biological Weapons Convention and the need for protective intent. Accordingly, the project uh, only produced small quantities, one gram or less, of the modified anthrax. But strictly speaking, even one gram of anthrax is a large quantity capable of infecting thousands of people if a, a suitable dried spore preparation is made. So, I mean, at this point now, you're just making anthrax for defense. You know, it seems, seems uh, you know... A little, little questionable. Yeah. I mean, especially when you look at like how they, they uh, treat like Iranian, you know, production uh, around like nuclear stuff, you know, it's like they wouldn't, mm. they don't allow the footsie for others, but they're like, no, 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 we, we, we run this footsie game. Yeah. This is what we do. And the utility of the research itself was questionable because when Project Jefferson produced a vaccine-resistant, genetically modified biological agent, it was only verifying something that had already turned up in the scientific literature. So, you know, you don't have to do it yourself. You could just read. Yeah, then clearly the Russians weren't trying to hide it because mm -hmm. if it was some sort of secret weapon they were going to use, I don't think it would make it would make its way to the journals. But yeah. still, it's like, well, we, we got to get one of our, well, <laughs> I, I don't, we don't have that. Mm -hmm. can, can we make one? Hey, hey, now what do they got? <laughs> do we have one of those their mom bought them an anthrax vaccine resistant anthrax well they got super nintendo and i'm sitting here sega master system now mom can i go over to his house i want to play with their bomb blow on the cartridge a little bit now you might be saying like even if we were to grant that these sorts of projects were all done by the book couldn't the resulting information hypothetically be used for bioweapons purposes? And yeah, these sorts of projects illustrate what is known as the dual-use dilemma in biotechnology. Research which results in valuable information for perfectly legitimate and good, health-benefiting, or defensive projects might also be misused for illicit purposes. Now, this creates kind of like a nightmare paradox because research is necessary to protect people and help prevent the spread of disease, but also, in some cases, it's possible that research could be used for, you know, for like offensive purposes, which means that there are risks associated with not doing the research and doing the research. In 2004, the National Academy of Sciences released a report called Biotechnology Research in an Age of Terrorism, which highlighted the risks associated with this kind of research. Domestic and international guidelines do not currently address the potential for misuse of the tools, technology, or knowledge base of this research enterprise for offensive military or terrorist purposes. In addition, no national or international review body currently has the legal authority or self-governance responsibility to evaluate a proposal research activity prior to its conduct to determine whether the risks associated with the proposed research and its potential for misuse outweigh its potential benefits. The significant increases in funding that will be going to research on biodefense, precisely the sort of research likely to pose the most severe dual-use dilemmas, reinforce the argument for creating such a comprehensive system, both nationally and internationally. I feel like whoever coined the phrase like, well, risks outweigh the rewards, like should be thrown in jail. Like that, <laughs> that, phrase, that, that phrase alone, I think, has contributed uh, to much of the malfeasance uh, across this, this great planet. 
That guy's name is Jonathan Risk, 17th century <laughs> British man. Jake is, uh, Jake is proposing the jailing of Machiavelli. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jonathan Risk. Have you, hi, I'm Jonathan Risk. Have you ever thought about rewards and what it might take to get them? Well, look no further. Uh, please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel where I'll tell you uh, how to do everything short of killing yourself just to get, just to potentially get the bag. Please like and subscribe and uh, any risks that you'd like me to outline in future videos, uh, leave, a con leave a suggestion in the comments. Thanks. The Soviets, of course, uh, ran their own conventions-defying program. According to multiple Soviet defectors, they actually ran the most extensive bioweapons program ever built, even after the convention was signed. It was called Biopreparat and allegedly employed tens of thousands of people and worked out of dozens of labs. Though, like I said, some of the testimony of some of these defectors is arguably shaky. Mm -hmm. Now, this program resulted in uh, another accident. It was called the Severodlovsk Anthrax Outbreak of 1979. That outbreak resulted in the deaths of at least 66 people, according to an investigation published by the journal Science in 1994. Now, that's obviously not a comprehensive history of even what is known about pre-Cold War, or I guess the Cold War bioweapons projects, but it's just to illustrate that non-compliant programs were real and they resulted in horrifying malice and negligence. Now, fast forward to August 1991, Soviet President Mikhail Gorbachev is placed under house arrest during a coup by high-ranking members of his own government, military, and police forces. This spooked U.S. officials who didn't like the thought of nuclear, biological, and chemical arsenal uh, being controlled by an unstable government. The officials proposed working with the Soviets to secure their nuclear weapons, but before a deal could be reached, the Soviet Union collapsed. And this created a new problem, because now these weapons were spread among four newly independent countries, Russia, Belarus, Ukraine, and Kazakhstan. Ukraine, for example, inherited roughly 5,000 nuclear arms that the former Soviet Union had uh, stationed on its soil. This made it instantly the third largest nuclear power in the world. Good thing they gave that up. Yeah, I know. Yes. To respond to this issue, uh, Senators Sam Nunn and Richard Lugar wrote and co-authored the Soviet Nuclear Threat Reduction Act of 1991. This involved assisting with decommissioning weapons, but it also involved uh, the breakaway countries, with help from the U.S., transferring the nuclear arsenal back to Russia. It's kind of like, oops, forgot your, uh, forgot, forgot your nuclear weapons when you collapsed. Let me just <laughs> move those back, back, to, back to where they belong. You dropped this, king. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, it also sounds like uh, Ukraine forgot a very important rule in geopolitics, which is never, ever give up your nukes. No. <laughs> I mean, it'll make the world more dangerous, but it'll make you safer. <laughs> the risks are the rewards. <laughs> you haven't been watching that YouTube channel that uh, Jake pitched us. <laughs> I need Hi, to. I'm Jonathan I Risk. Need to watch Risk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jonathan Risk, here again to tell you. Oh, God. Do you want rewards? Do you want the treats in life <laughs> that make the other things feel not so bad? Mm. Look no further. Jonathan Risk's YouTube channel, where it's a risk even <laughs> logging in. My site is unprotected, and uh, <laughs> many users are, are known <laughs> to get malware uh, when they download the videos from our site. All part of the plan. Like and subscribe. Also, it seems our comment section is now a grooming ground for pedophiles. <laughs> Jonathan Risk, out. <laughs> By design. In 1992, 
Russian President Boris Yeltsin acknowledged the existence of a long-standing covert Soviet bioweapons program and declared his commitment to ending it. And that's all well and good, but um, there's another issue, is that what to do about the former Soviet scientists who used to work at these bioweapons labs? Uh, There was a fear that there might be something dangerous about a bunch of broke scientists who know how to make deadly weapons. And one solution uh, was to provide them with good facilities and give them research projects to work on. This is, I guess, you know, a little mini Soviet version of Operation Paperclip, I guess. It's kind of sad, though. They were like, Werner von Braun, come work for NASA. However, these guys, I don't know, keep them busy or something. <laughs> Wait, they're Soviets, man. Come on. Yeah, I mean, find them a facility, you know, give them a couple toys to play with. They'll figure something out. Do not give them a fuse. Whatever you do. <laughs> in fact, in the 90s, there were collaborative research projects between Pentagon scientists and Russian scientists. In one case, they worked together to decode the genome of the monkeypox virus, which is closely related to smallpox. Which, you know, I think that's a nice idea. You know, hostile empires putting aside their differences to work together in the name of science and exploration. Very Star Trek. Yeah, small <laughs> monkeypox. Yeah. Lieutenant Colonel Charles Carleton, the director of the U.S. Defense Threat Reduction Agency in Kazakhstan, expressed concern about rogue scientists in a 2013 article for Motherboard. You cannot erase this knowledge from someone's mind. We're doing our best to employ these people. Our hope is that through gainful employment, they won't be drawn down other avenues. It's crazy. Yeah, why can't we do this for like drug addicts and stuff? Like, like, like this kind of this kind of program does not exist uh, really for the people who actually need it. (laughs) Like Soviet collapse was so thorough that like the top bioweapons guy, they're like, get him in an employment program. You know, yeah, UBI for the smartest people in the Soviet Union, (laughs) integration for the Nazis. (laughs) Great. And that finally brings us to why biolabs in Ukraine are funded in part by the U.S. In 2005, the Pentagon and the Ukrainian Health Ministry signed an agreement titled Concerning Cooperation in the Area of Prevention of Proliferation of Technology, Pathogens, and Expertise that Could Be Used in the Development of Biological Weapons. According to Article 3 of this agreement, the U.S. Department of Defense may provide assistance to the Ministry of Health in the area of, quote, cooperative biological research, biological threat, agent detection, and response with regard to dangerous pathogens located at the facilities in Ukraine. So that's the issue. And the question is that basically whether or not the accusations that from Russia is that, um, and like, you know, QAnon people, is that these facilities aren't being used for legitimate biodefense or, you know, health reasons, but rather bioweapons research. And I I checked out Russian state media about the bioweapons claim, you know, hoping to see some like support, something to support the accusation that the the facilities violate the uh, biological weapons convention. Uh, For example, there's one article from Sputnik headlined Russian Ministry of Defense names curator of Pentagon funded biolabs in Ukraine releases original docs. And instead, what they offered were documents describing research programs that, in my amateur assessment, had no clear connection to weapons development. For example, there was a research program that assessed the risks of viruses potentially carried by migratory birds flying over Ukraine. There's another one monitoring the prevalence of Crimean-Congo hemorrhagic fever and hantaviruses in Ukraine. There was yet another one uh, looking into how to control the spread of African swine fever in domestic pigs and wild boars in Ukraine. You know, studying the prevalence of diseases and how viruses spread seems to me to be within the purview of legitimate research. Um, 
I read a uh, 2005 article published in the journal Politics and the Life Sciences titled United States Biodefense International Law and the Problem of Intent. That article is very critical of U.S. biodefense policy and argues that it actually makes biological attacks more likely by undermining international norms. But it nonetheless describes some biodefense work as clearly benign, such as biological agent detection and epidemiological surveillance. So I don't quite understand how these specific examples are supposed to prove the existence of a secret bioweapons program. It isn't really explained. The Russian Lieutenant General Igor Kilarov did claim that these documents were proof of a sinister plot to send infected animals to Russia. That seems to be more of a imaginative speculation instead of anything established by the documents provided. I mean, it also begs the question of why the West is saying that Putin is going to seize these labs and release stuff as a weapon, because it's like, I'm pretty sure Putin has his own stuff. He doesn't need to go and like borrow your biological research. If he wants to do that, he can just probably do that with his own stock. The other thing that the the most sophisticated um, bio labs in Ukraine only have a uh, bio safety level of three. And um, and in Russia, they have the, the Vector Research Laboratory, which is one of the most sophisticated biolabs in the world. In fact, contains one of the two stores of smallpox in the world. The other one is at a CDC facility in Atlanta. So, I, you know, I, Russia has they, they have much more sophisticated research projects than anything that can be found in Ukraine. And as I hope I'm like, I'm not resistant to the idea that the U.S. government is doing is involved in some shady shit that's in violation of international convention. But. But kind of throw me a bone here, Russia. I mean, the way that they're hyping this up, I was hoping to see documents about engineered super anthrax that can only infect Slavic blood. Instead, I got like migratory (laughs) birds. Yeah, not as good. We are all waiting for that thing that can take out Liv and uh, all her people. Yeah, this is bad news. This is is, that would be be here right now. The world is working together to sign (laughs) treaties to make sure we get that one done. Yeah, I want to see. I don't really. But I thought, you know, I've always heard so much about Russia's, uh, you know, legendary spying and hacking abilities. You know, if they can't like penetrate and expose a Ukrainian laboratory and expose all of their horrifying secrets, maybe it's been overhyped. Maybe I misheard. Mm-hmm. I should also note that several Russian scientists at great personal risk have characterized the claims about bioweapons research as conspiracy theories. For example, Eugene Lewitin, a biologist who holds advanced degrees from Moscow State University, wrote an open letter which urged Russian journalists to stop repeating the government's, quote, false, absolutely groundless and hatred-inducing statements about allegedly found evidence of the development of biological weapons in Ukrainian laboratories. In the letter, which was signed by 800 other scientists and researchers, Lewitin pushes back against allegations from Russian officials that Ukrainian labs destroying strains um, is evidence of a cover-up of a secret bioweapons program. Uh, This is from that letter. It is the direct duty of an elementary, decent journalist to become familiar with the documentation accompanying the statements and, if necessary, to consult an expert. This has not been done. In this case, the quote-unquote evidence offered by the media is obviously false. It does not imply any development of biological weapons or even the use of particularly dangerous pathogens in the laboratories. The list of destroyed strains published by R.A. Novotsky and other Russian media outlets contains not a single particularly dangerous strain. The list contains only strains common to microbiological and even more so to epidemiological laboratories. General Konashenkov's statement about the presence of, quote, plague, anthrax, tularemia, and cholera strains documented in the material presented is pure fiction. 
It should be noted that even the presence of such strains in a laboratory dealing with especially dangerous infections would also not be evidence of development of biological weapons by Ukraine. So the weak substance behind the accusations, I think, suggests another possible explanation, which is that this is, you know, propaganda and disinformation designed to demonize a country that's being invaded. And that's a normal thing, like we said, that happens during war. And on top of that, the Russian government has a history of making uh, unsubstantiated accusations of bioweapons development. Nonetheless, they're exploiting a troubling ambiguity uh, between biodefense and bioweapons research, which is real and ought to be resolved. The accusation of convention-breaking activity seems to get even shakier when you track how the claim proliferated. In early February, there was a joint statement made by Russia and China that says in part, quote, the sides emphasized that domestic and foreign bioweapons activities by the United States and its allies raised serious concerns and questions for the international community regarding their compliance with the Biological Weapons Convention. But it doesn't make any outright accusations of noncompliance, and it makes no mention of Ukraine. Yeah, this is some, like, boilerplate UN bullshit. Like, we grow concerned with the, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> Putin's speeches prior to the invasion of Ukraine made no mention of biolabs at all. He had a list of grievances he wanted to get off his chest, but apparently didn't think allegations of convention-breaking bioweapons research were worth mentioning at the time. It slipped his mind. You know what happens. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, recent claims of bioweapons labs in Ukraine didn't get any traction until a viral thread on Twitter by an anonymous QAnon promoter named War Clandestine. Uh, So this is a guy that used to be named Clandestine Rosenstein back in 2019, and he got this name after the false belief that Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein was uh, secretly working behind the scenes to take down the deep state. But the fact that he obviously was wrong about that theory didn't prevent him from, like, still spreading conspiracy theories. They're tenacious QAnon followers. I'll give them that. I do like that the two ways you've spelled Rosenstein in this script are Rosentein and Rostinian. Whatever. Here's the thing. People can't see spelling. People can't see spelling until you point out, you fucking dick. (laughs) (laughs) On the day of the invasion, February 24th, War Clandestine posted a map showing Russian airstrikes on Ukrainian cities and compared it with a map of biological laboratories in Ukraine, which happened to be, you know, in cities. From this, he speculates that actually Russia is targeting bioweapons labs. In a TikTok video, the man behind War Clandestine uh, took full credit for the spread of the bioweapons claims. Hello, everyone. My name is Jacob. I am the individual behind the clandestine Twitter personality. I'm the one responsible for the thread that went viral pertaining to the U.S. DOD-funded biolabs in Ukraine. I'm the one who originated the U.S. biolabs hashtag. And you've probably seen my thread circulating on the Internet, whether it be via the fact checks on PolitiFact, Snopes, USA Today, which have now been proven false. Or you might have just seen me on Tucker. He just featured the Biolabs on his opening statement. Waters World, Bongino, Bannon on the War Room. You've seen me all over the internet. I'm the one who wrote the thread. Wow, man. We live in, we live in the funniest time because everyone's like, I did the thing. It was me. I want the attention, even though this could very easily backfire. <laughs> And so, yeah, after that thread, some right-wing media immediately picked up on it. Um, And it was only after that viral thread that representatives of Russia started making direct accusations. 
For example, on February 27th, a Russian embassy in Sarajevo accused Washington of, quote, filling Ukraine with biolabs, which were very possibly used to study methods for destroying the Russian people. And from there, it was off to the races. The claim was promoted by high-level Russian officials, some Chinese officials, and basically every major conservative news outlet, including those hosted by Tucker Carlson, Dan Bongino, and Alex Jones. Now, Russia even called for a meeting with the United Nations Security Council over the issue. There, the high representative of disarmament affairs, Izumi Nakamitsu, said that the UN is not aware of any such biological programs, but also said, quote, situations such as this demonstrate the need to strengthen the Biological Weapons Convention, which is fair. That's basically where I'm at. Like these bioweapons claims, they, they're not good. They have, I think they have all the hallmarks of war propaganda and fodder for right-wing media. But the allegations, however poorly substantiated, might get less traction if there was a lot more transparency and a better way to resolve disputes regarding bioweapons research. As it so happens, in August of this year, the UN will host the ninth review conference of the Biological Weapons Convention, and hopefully the participating countries can resolve these issues so that the world will be safer and I never again have to read about the history of bioweapons. Oh man, I'm really, really crossing my fingers for you. But yeah. if it doesn't happen, to, to give you a kind of similar task, we're just going to have you read Dostoevsky. Oh, great. Fantastic. <laughs> and I'm going to make you watch The Rock, uh, starring Nicolas Cage <laughs> and Sean Connery. Perfect a, pairing, my friend. Mm. It is a perfect, a perfect pairing. He's a content sommelier. Mm-hmm. Mm. That is so funny, dude. I really, I think, I think I'm going to leave the podcast and become a content sommelier. Be like, <laughs> be like, these sour strawberry straws. Uh, paired uh, with this Korean zombie show, it's uh, <laughs> it, it is one of one of the finest experiences you will ever have. Michelin star experiences. He just messed up though. The sommelier would be comparing different contents, right? Like you wouldn't just be like, "Here's a wine that goes well with this chair." Yes, you. In my world, you would. <laughs> okay, well, fair, fair. Look, Julian, it's hard to understand that how you're seated uh, can affect uh, how your taste buds experience certain flavors. All right, that was great. Uh, really good fun stuff. And uh, now we can move on to the even more fun stuff, which is uh, truly disconnected from reality claims um, that are just running rampant on websites like Real Raw News and uh, just in QAnon JPEGs. As we all know, Americans are very good at making political events happening around the world about themselves. There is no group within America who is better at this than Anons. For them, not only does any world event relate to America, it relates to a senile ex-reality TV game show host who is no longer even the president. Given the large amount of attention that Americans are paying to the Russian invasion of Ukraine at the moment, all the pilled people who spend 8 hours a day yelling at the news now have a new thing to focus on. As you probably may have assumed, making all political events in the world about Donald Trump requires one to do a bit of reaching. This often comes in the form of word association. If all you've seen on TV is mentions of Ukraine, you might think of where else you've heard Ukraine mentioned on the TV in recent years. Well, one thing that might come to mind is the fact that Joe Biden's son, Hunter, did have a job at the Ukrainian energy production company Burisma Holdings Limited. And if you're pilled, the corrupt activities of Hunter Biden are going to be one of the most important insights into the <laughs> machinations of the deep state in its war against patriots. This leads me to the first absurd theory that Anons have concocted in relation to Ukraine that I'll be going over today, which is that the invasion was actually caused in some way by Hunter Biden. The first example of this comes from former YouTuber Justin Formtalk, 
also known as Craig James, who you might know from being featured on Colin Hoback's HBO doc, Q Into the Storm. You might also recognize him uh, from cornering me and Travis at the Arizona QAnon convention, where I was innocently and drunkly trying to eat a gigantic pizza I'd ordered uh, to keep myself from getting sick. And uh, Travis was just trying not to get made. Um, And uh, (laughs) both of those things, both of those failed. (laughs) I remember there was a moment where where, where uh, Justin Formtoss asked Travis Point Blank. He was like, so what? He was like, what is it? That, what is the problem that you guys have with QAnon? Travis said something along the lines of it's like, well, it's the whole, I guess it's the whole, you know, Trump fighting, uh, you know, a demonic energy that really rubs me the wrong. It was like, it was was such a measured response. It was like, uh, I can't remember exactly what you said, Travis, but it was something like that. We're going to start with a theory of mine. Um, I'm painting a hypothetical picture here of what could have happened. And I know a lot of you out there are going to go, duh, no kidding. We already know this. But it was an interesting realization I had the other day when I started reading through, uh, you know, everything Joe Biden's doing in Ukraine and starting think- starting to think about, well, why are we going to Ukraine? What's happening here? So let me uh, let me read this to you. It says, allow me to paint you a hypothetical picture. A while back, Joe Biden used his own his own son hunter to facilitate some swamp deep state moves to back the globalist takeover of america in exchange for a multi-million dollar bribe after joe strong-armed the prosecutor investigating this arrangement he believed the story would disappear without consequence fast forward to 2020 he's thrust into the race as the only candidate who can unite he wins because the same swamp deep state that bribed him has now rigged an election by starting a pandemic how do you destroy the evidence of Ukrainian bribery, uh, thus connecting you to this swamp deep state? Well, of course, you start a fake war with Russia, evacuate the embassy, burn all the evidence, kill any witnesses, and that's how you do a cover-up. So, look, I'm not saying that's exactly what's happening in Ukraine right now, but it is rather convenient that uh, Biden's having all of this happen, you know, like shutting down and evacuating the uh, Ukrainian embassy all of these different things that are happening in in congruence with this whole major conflict with Russia and Ukraine. So I think it's it's a very convenient one too. If you think about it for four years, Ukraine was totally fine. You know, there was no incursions, there was no uh, major battles or, or major conflict there on the border region in the Donetsk and, and Donbass areas. But what you've seen now is that all of a sudden Joe Biden takes office and, oh, wow, look at that. We're only a year in, a little over a year, and now there's a war in Ukraine. Wow, yeah, the evidence is uh, overwhelming. Uh, of course, uh, Maidan did not happen. I, I don't want to Google any Ukraine stuff. Just let me paint you a picture. Uh, additionally, Your Honor, I would like to enter this piece of evidence into the record. It's your boy Lil Trump. <laughs> Swag, 100 million, 100,000. Ukraine. Ukraine. Hunter Biden is missing. No one can find him. Where is he? Hunter Biden. Swag. Getting all this money. Swag. I'm Hunter Biden. Swag. Getting all this money. Swag. I get money because my dad is Joe Biden. Swag. Ukraine. 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 Where's Hunter Biden? Where's Hunter hiding? Hunter is missing. No one can find him. I'm Hunter Biden. I'm a total loser. My dad was VP. He fired the prosecutor. Swag. 
Ukraine, 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 Ukraine. I'm Hunter Biden. I'm a total loser. Ukraine, 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 Ukraine. Yeah, I'm Hunter Biden. Hunter, you're a loser. Hunter, Hunter, you're a loser. I rest my case. I sentence Hunter Biden to 100,000 years in prison. One one hundred thousand years of being swagless, and I sent and I sentence uh, the rapper of this song, Little Trump, to a hundred years of swag. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, you know what's I was when I was watching the the Just Informed talks video. You know what's fucking absolutely wild is these guys like. They read their own writing as a source. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you know he's like, well, I just want to uh, read you uh, read you this little bit here, and then it's just like something he wrote and made on up. Twitter. It's yeah, like on Twitter, he's like, oh, we're getting breaking news from my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to relay some breaking news, and here we have a breaking news story from something I wrote two hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if all of the stuff you read off is just other guys' bakes. It might as well just be your own. Right. You have better editorial process. You can, yeah. But th- this is a, the general pattern for a lot of, I think, uh, Q takes on Ukraine is that in some way it relates to Putin being good and fighting against Hunter Biden in some way or and the, the corruption that the Bidens are involved with. So yeah, not only is the invasion caused by Hunter's corruption, there also isn't an invasion at all. Mm. All this was done for the purpose of being able to burn the American embassy, which for some reason has the evidence of corruption. I guess that's where you store, if you do corruption in a country, you store yeah, it Yeah, it, it's very convenient. It's like, oh, uh, well, we had to install like uh, handicapped bathrooms and work on the ventilation system. We're also going to store the documents we want to burn. So we have to burn this place to the ground when we need to get <laughs> rid of them. But one doesn't actually have to look as deep as we have into the depths of the Q universe to find the general sentiment that Hunter Biden is somehow deeply involved in the cause of the war between Russia and Ukraine. Even popular right-wing pundits like Candace Owens were repeating something similar to this back in February when the invasion started. In a tweet on February 23rd, Candace Owens said, Joe Biden is protecting his family business interests in Ukraine and is willing to plunge the United States into a war over it. Everyone should look up Hunter Biden and Burisma if you want to know what's really going on in Ukraine. A day later, she also tweeted, We are now experiencing foreign policy COVID. Quote-unquote experts pretending that what is happening between Russia and Ukraine is a naturally occurring event, when in fact it was manufactured in a lab by the people who stood to benefit trillions. Hunter Biden slash big guy slash Burisma slash Ukraine. What does this lab look like? Is it uh, a coffee table with little uh, plastic soldiers like lined up on it? Like, I don't understand the analogy here. I think it's because it's a bad analogy. I think she's, yeah, she's not doing too (laughs) good with the, both the analogy and like, you know, the empirical data. This opinion appears to be at least too stupid for mainstream white wing audiences, though. And it seems that the last time she explicitly repeated this idea was in late February. But in an appearance made on Tucker Carlson on March 22nd, she did vaguely allude to this idea again. So I really tried to reflect on what it was that I was hitting at that was bothering them. And really, it was me talking about Zelensky. You know, Zelensky right now, according to the mainstream narrative, the new mainstream narrative, I should say, is is Batman, right? We're all supposed to just go, he's an amazing hero and he's not corrupt. And I've been talking about their previous covering of him in the Pandora Papers, talking about his ties to, you know, Ukrainian billionaires um, that are, that are, the have a controlling interest in Burisma. That might be a significant conversation for the press to have in a moment 
moment when we have Biden's administration egging us on, trying to get us more involved in this conflict in Ukraine, and they don't want that conversation to be had. So general pointing to Zelensky's actual corruption, because that is an empirical phenomenon, and, and the idea that like, well, Biden is sort of corrupt, you know, he's involved in Prisma, think about it. Yeah, you know, Hunter really fucked up being a fail son. It's supposed to be the easiest job in the world. You take <laughs> it's a impressive. gig. You, you're right. You stay out of the spotlight. Fucking miserable. But I also want to go back to a point that was made by Justin Formtalk that was even more absurd than this insinuation that the invasion of Ukraine was caused by Hunter Biden, something even Candace Owens wouldn't claim. The idea that the war in Ukraine is actually fake is a surprisingly common position put by pilled people, especially early into the conflict. According to Q, we are all watching a movie after all. And what better person to star in a movie than a former actor? A pilled telegram post on February 27th, courtesy of Sarah or at CoolFaceJane on Twitter, reads, You are still watching a movie. What makes a good movie? The actors. Mockingbird Media uses crisis actors to play their clips, just like they did during Convid. Zelensky is literally an actor, playing his role, playing on both sides. Publicly on one side, covertly on the other's side. I do like that Q has just ruined their brains. Like, they all think like Q now. <laughs> mm-hmm. This general sentiment, though, that the war in Ukraine isn't actually going on is surprisingly common among pilled people still. Uh, and it is true that Zelensky did play the president of Ukraine on a TV show, which is how he became the president in real life. But I'm not sure that this logic bodes well for a group of people that love Donald Trump. I'm <laughs> and not sure fucking that. Ronald Reagan. Uh, yeah, yeah. Also an actor. Trump, I guess, maybe you could consider him an actor. He was he was in um, Home Alone 2 and well, some other movies. <laughs> also, I mean, I think I think his real breakout role was The Apprentice, in which he, he his role on TV was a super brilliant, successful businessman. Yeah, he played a good businessman. They're like, well, businessman can run the country. It's a good point. One video I managed to find on Rumble that only has 12 views, mind you, but I think represents well the pills, quote-unquote, rational skeptic position on whether the invasion of Ukraine actually is taking place pretty well. So there's some interesting thinking here. One is that, like COVID, Russia is participating in a conspiracy with America, with China, with the Ukraine and with the European Union faking this war, whether there are some casualties or not. Uh, we know Russia has converted out of communism. And the way it seems, Russia is the shining light of the world. It's the most beautiful country, and it's fighting the new world order. It's fighting America. It's fighting the European Union that oppresses their citizens and, you know, introduces gay bumfucking of little boys and girls. That's how it appears to be. If that is the case, then we want Russia to smash through all of Europe uh, on a grander scale than Moses did with Pharaoh, on a grander scale than Hitler and Stalin did, and we want them to win. But Remember, can you trust a country that's not consecrated to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, Russia, and that's teaming up with evil China, even if they're not? Can you trust a country that has abortion? And the answer is no, never. Now, is it a miracle if Russia's fighting the good fight? Of course. So either on one hand, Russia is fighting the good fight, 
and they're fighting on behalf of 8 billion people on earth, God bless them, or there's a conspiracy like there was with abortion and like there was also with COVID where Russia is in bed with the Ukraine and in bed with the Americans and in bed with China. So you have to decide this for yourself. This guy has has the exact same speaking manner as my uh, Jewish grandmother. Really, <laughs> same Hitler. same exact meter. Also, speaking of Jewish, Moses didn't like plow through all of Egypt, like <laughs> you, you know, uh, destroying the Egyptians in his way. He, he fucking ran away. And, but and but the, didn't he split the cheeks of that sea? God split the cheeks of the sea. God split the cheeks of the sea. <laughs> so Moses was running. They were running away, and they, it just so happened that God hooked them up and and split the you know split the cheeks, and and the entire Egyptian army was swallowed in the asshole of the ocean. God was doing gay bum fucking of the sea for the Jews. Yeah, I'm confusing. Uh, oh, I just, how can it be gay? It's He's like little girls and little boys and it's gay butt fucking. It's like, okay, so wait, so they had to hire women to do the girls so it stayed gay? Like, I don't, this man is the most insane, like, understanding of geopolitics and I really suspect that there are so many brains out there just going about their business. It makes me dizzy. <laughs> Never trust a man with two collars. <laughs> look, at, look at what this guy's wearing. He's got two collars going on. Mm -hmm. They're both popped. He's got two popped collars with a Henley underneath. These, these yeah. are the three, these are three out of the four horses of the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> But as he said, you do have to figure it out for yourself. Yes. Yeah, is whatever. the war real or is it just a fake thing that's not mm -hmm. going on? I think the funniest part of that is that that video was made on March 16th. So like very well into the war. Mm -hmm. yeah. He's being like, maybe it's made up. I don't know. All right, kids, which story do you want me to read you tonight? A crucial element of Anon's worldview is, of course, the folk concern for child sex trafficking. So, of course, the view that all of the bad guys are doing this in order to perform satanic rituals must somehow have made its way into pilled people's analysis of Russia invading Ukraine. Given that, as we've seen, many Anons have explicitly taken Russia's side in the conflict, it shouldn't be a surprise that some have miraculously uncovered alleged reports of sex trafficking in Ukraine being halted by Russian forces. Real Raw News, a pilled website that publishes bullshit, made an article on February 28th with the headline, Putin vows to crush child traffickers in Ukraine, that makes the claim that one of Putin's primary explicit reasons for the invasion was to halt the supposed child sex trafficking of Russian children into Ukraine. Real Raw News' source is a secret individual who is supposedly close to Trump and claims that Trump is in close talks with Putin. This is of course baseless, and there is no actual indication that child sex trafficking is one of the fabricated reasons that Putin is made to justify the invasion in the first place. Yeah, no, they had another article that was just about how Putin has beheaded 10 uh, bioweapon experts. <laughs> He's just chopping heads off. Just ISIS video style. They're going to upload. <laughs> another article by Real Raw News titled Russian Spetsnaz, which Spetsnaz is spelled wrong throughout the article, liberate... <laughs> Uh, U.S. Maureens are invading. <laughs> Liberate child trafficking victims in Ukraine uh, was released on February 27th, so a day before the other article. It's published by the same person and also supposedly details the phenomena of Russian Spetsnaz soldiers liberating Russian children who've been sex trafficked. It feels a lot more like a fan fiction story than actual news, though, so I thought it would be fitting if we read it out. Definitely. This is a job mm -hmm. for one Jake. Mm-hmm. I'm ready. <laughs> 
Valiant Spetsnaz searching for an alleged bioweapons laboratory in central Ukraine accidentally stumble upon a child trafficking den, a dimly lit bunker holding a hundred young boys and girls whose eyes dilate when the soldiers' flashlights illuminate the decrepit chamber. Some are emaciated, while others, mostly little girls, appear in better health, as if their jailers pick and choose who to feed and who to let starve to the bone. They are children of eclectic nationalities, Ukrainian, Russian, Polish, Romanian, Swiss, French, and, yes, American. And many have a wrist or ankle shackled to the floor or wall. He's basically describing the scene in um, Temple of Doom where uh, Indiana Jones <laughs> finds all the children in the mines. Many children tremble at the sight of a dozen Spetsnaz sweeping assault rifles from side to side, undoubtedly uncertain of the soldiers' intentions. Who here speaks Russian? <laughs> a soldier calls out. Hands go up. We bring you no harm. Who did this to you? Where are they? The soldier asks. A child points to a heavy iron door the Spetsnaz had breached to enter the chamber. They left maybe two days and not come back, he says. We never saw faces, only masks. They speak little Russian, mostly Ukrainian. We are very hungry. He points to his stomach, seemingly more concerned with food than freedom. It's all right now. We take you out of here, all of you. A soldier says. We bring you back to your families. As they leave. <laughs> I don't have a Russian. <laughs> stuff. As they leave, a teen boy relays to a soldier a grim tale. He's been shuffled between several of what he calls Ditskia Edskia Ligria, or child hell camps. Sometimes hours drive apart. The world is big, he says, adding he is clueless as to what country he is in or what cities are nearby. He was abducted, he guesses, two months ago from his bedroom in the outskirts of Belgorod, a Russian border city. He has seen many children brought into the camps, only to vanish days later. It seems an implausible tale and could be propaganda, but it's what Russian President Vladimir Putin told Donald J. Trump on their fourth telephone call since the crisis began, a Mar-a-Lago source told Real Raw News. I like to imagine it's just like some guy that works in Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> just like a waiter. <laughs> They spoke after Trump got back from CPAC last night, and Putin gave the story of his men having saved those kids. Trump asked him to congratulate the soldiers on his behalf because, quote, child trafficking is a very terrible crime and evil. But only if the story is true. Putin insisted it was, and he wanted to send the American children home, but didn't trust Joe Biden or the U.S. State Department. He asked Trump to facilitate their safe return to American soil, our source said. If you're honest, of course I'll bring our children home, Trump repeatedly told Putin. Our source said Trump regarded Putin with suspicion, for he has yet to verify claims that Putin has been bombing and shelling Western-sponsored biolabs dotting the Ukrainian countryside. Putin brought up the biolabs, said his army destroyed dozens, but there were still hardened ones in remote locations that had to be taken out, our source said. If Zelensky lets us destroy those labs and does not resist, uh, we would leave Ukraine right after, <laughs> Putin reportedly told Trump. Putin also said stories about the Ukrainian army killing thousands of Russian troops and destroying hundreds of tanks were purely Western media propaganda. In closing, we asked our source why Trump, during a Fox News digital interview last night, sympathized with Zelensky and called for, quote, strong and swift sanctions against Russia and Putin. Trump is a tactician. There are things he can't say in public. Don't forget, he also said he doesn't discuss his moves on television, our source said. Yeah, he definitely doesn't discuss anything on yeah. television. That's mm -hmm. not a thing he likes no. to do. No. <laughs> this this Jake level article received about a hundred thousand views and three point four thousand <laughs> oh likes on Facebook. God. 
<laughs> oh, dear Lord. Goddamn. But what a story. <laughs> we have comments in the article saying things like, for instance, Whoa, if that is true, God bless and protect those children. May they all go home safely. <laughs> oh, God. God. Man, hopefully Dr. Jones is able to uh, wrestle the three glowing skulls of Kalima and, and free those children from the mines. It just blows my mind that you have such an uncritical interaction with these that you're just like, oh, it's crazy. I mean, I yeah. guess if that's true, like, shout out to the guys in Russia. If it's true that Trump posted outside of Hunter Biden's hotel room to make sure those kids didn't reach there and instead saved them, that's great. <laughs> there's, there's no comments wondering how it was exactly that the direct first-hand accounts of a Spetsnaz soldier and direct quotes from children he was saving made it intact from him to Putin to Trump to Trump's anonymous source to this article <laughs> in a way that's like a colorful short story. Right. They're just all <laughs> such good storytellers. You know, it's a little bit like if like Weekly World News was still around and there are comments like, well, I'm glad that Bat Boy is doing safe. Man, I was really worried about him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, look, I don't know if the Bat Boy's real, but if he is, I really wish him well. <laughs> In fact, as far as I'm aware, the Russian version of child hell camp in that story, the Detskia Adskia Likaria, uh, was, I think, spelled wrong. Detskia has an E in the end, which makes it plural when it should be like singular child. Mm. Um, I was able to search that phrase on Google and find all the other instances of where this short story was posted. One of these instances was it translated into French. One of them was a translation into simplified Chinese one into Korean, one into Vietnamese, one into Hungarian, and a few others, which is very strange. I, I was trying to figure out whether it was like a Google Translate level mm -hmm. um, or, or whether it legitimately was someone just like translating into all the other languages. In the process, you and I found out that uh, Putin is actually written poutine like the yes. uh, Quebecois dish with cheese curd fries and gravy. So, Which is remarkable. The French just died. We'll spell this differently. Yeah. I think it's, you know, it's pointless to speculate on who is spreading these stories to like other parts of the internet that aren't English speaking, because it, you know, it's certainly not like pilled anons. I don't, I don't think that they have enough reach to do that. Yeah. But whoever is translating the stories into other languages seems to think that this story is effective. And I mean, at least in the English speaking world, it seems to be. And most mentions I can find online of child sex trafficking in Ukraine seem to use these two articles and other articles written by Real Raw News as like their primary inspiration, either implicitly or explicitly. Mm -hmm. One interesting instance of mentions of human trafficking in Ukraine was by Michael Flynn in a recent discussion with Lou Dobbs. Let's start with Ukraine uh, and the, the mess uh, that uh, NATO in particular is in uh, and the inability of Zelensky to, to get a discussion face to face with Putin. Your thoughts? Yeah, for, first of all, I don't think that Putin has any time for uh, Zelensky because I think he sees Zelensky as not only a, a, uh, a, a puppet type uh, a leader in, uh, in, in the Ukraine, but also somebody who has uh, admitted to, uh, to things that, that uh, over, over the last few years, admitted to things that we now know to be true. I mean, these various uh, relationships with People in our um, that are that are relatives of our members of our administration. Also, some of the I think the nefarious activities that uh, Ukraine has been involved in from human trafficking, drug trafficking, money laundering. I mean, there's an awful lot. So mention of ending sex trafficking in Ukraine, whether Flynn was explicitly influenced by these articles I've talked about or if he's just like 
used to saying that bad places do sex trafficking. That's, I mean, yeah. It's just, it's just an all-purpose sort of like smear. It's like, hey, that yeah. person uh, yeah. supports pedophiles. That place is a haven for sex traffickers. You could just move on. You'll have to provide any sort of details or uh, explanations past that. Yeah, like Myanmar, there's a military coup. I don't know where that place is. I can't point it out on a map, but I've heard that there was sex trafficking. <laughs> in this photo they've, they've chosen in the video, he looks like he's wearing the... Um, I just arrived in Thailand, uh, Oakley's <laughs> model of uh, glasses, so he probably knows. These are a few of the more absurd bakes about the invasion of Ukraine that I saw being spread online by Anons. The general through line, I think, with bakes is that they say that Putin is good, and that Ukraine is involved in American corruption, and that he's punishing them. That seems to be a general sort of yeah. uh, sympathy, which maybe goes to show like how much Anons love strongmen. And, and particularly like white strongmen mm-hmm. and the degrees that they will go to take their side, even in American society, where I think like a majority of the non-pilled discourse is seemingly very pro-Ukraine. They're willing to take the loss on that because of how much they like just the idea of a strongman winning a conflict. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I mean, after, you know, three years of this, you know, they have the outlier opinion anyway. So it's, you yeah. know, for them, it's almost it's, it's more comfortable to take the position that is, you know, the less popular of what's sort of uh, sprinkled about the, the public sphere. That's true. It is tricky for them because, you know, the Russia, Russia, Russia thing is something they like to repeat as if, you know, uh, liberals are just psychotically obsessed with Russia, which they kind of have been. But once he goes to war and invades a sovereign country, that puts them in a slightly more awkward position because it kind of makes sense that people are saying Russia, Russia, Russia right now. (laughs) I think another thing that makes it easier for them to swallow is it is in stark contrast to whatever the the sort of mainstream narrative is. I think, you know, at the end of the day, for for most conspiracy theorists, uh, whether they're full on QAnon or they're just sort of hanging out around the fringes, you know, what comes first is does what I believe now go against what these sort of mainstream talking points are. And then from there, you know, you can sort of build it out. If the entire world is saying, you know, Putin is a really evil guy and, uh, you know, this was a completely unprovoked invasion, uh, civilians are getting killed, you know, then it becomes easier to be like, well, maybe he's not a bad guy because, you know, there's a reason that they're lying to us, you know. Yeah, that's it. I mean, if you see CNN and MSNBC agree about anything, you're almost guaranteed that they're going to not like that. Like an important part of even just like Republican, like sort of political pathology is that it's about owning the libs. Like, what can I say that makes the libs the most mad? Mm -hmm. So if they're like pro-Ukraine, it's like, you know, it would piss them off real bad. We're bombing the guy you want to fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, going against the grain of both the public and and the news comes before any real political ideology. You know, you can fit whatever your sort of, I don't know, kind of nationalistic uh, hyper-religious beliefs are into just about anything as long as the first and second things you're doing is ignoring ignoring uh what the people you don't like are talking about and ignoring the tv shows uh that you don't like what they're talking about when looking at the things anon say online it's hard to draw the line between which bakes are just harmless and absurd and which are actively dangerous and have a negative effect on the world as we've seen with their capacity to at least potentially inspire some discourse produced by Russia about chemical weapons facilities in Ukraine. That's fair to say, right? They had some hand in, in creating the discourse of oh, yeah, on, like, chemical sure. weapons. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, biological weapons, actually. Oh, sorry, yeah, biological. One thing we can all agree on, I'm sure, is that Candace Owens is wrong. Russia didn't invade Ukraine to expose Hunter Biden's corruption. He invaded Ukraine in order to guarantee that Bernie Sanders could run as a spoiler <laughs> candidate against the mainstream Democratic candidate in 2024. Mm. So true. Thank you for that insight. You're so that correct. That is such yeah. a refreshing conspiracy. I, let's get more <laughs> like that, please. I'm going to start faking, but just like a Zalib. <laughs> It's a fresh angle. Join Liv on her new podcast, Lib Agar. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you, you can find that wherever your podcasts are are sold. Uh, but for real, though, you but do for have real, yeah. an actual podcast called Liv Agar. If you search yes. for that anywhere, what could people enjoy if they if they were to tune into that? Uh, lots of political philosophy, general uh, takes on world events. I haven't been posting as much, but uh, my school is done or is ending. So Congrats. I'll be able to post a lot more on that. No more grad school. Getting smarter and more accredited than all of us by the age of what? 23? Yeah, we're, I'm, I'm almost 24. We're getting uh, there. That's basically old. old. I'm old. You're you're old too, I guess. Fuck it. Yeah, yeah we're all yeah, old. Yeah, you're old. You're old. Thank yeah, you. disgusting. <laughs> 24. Ugh. Yeah, and hanging uh, out with us. Hanging out, hanging with, out us with us. Hanging out with us. Ads. Ads. Seven years. Holy shit. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of the QAnon Anonymous podcast. Please go to patreon.com slash QAnon Anonymous where you can subscribe for five bucks a month to get a whole second episode every week plus access to our entire archive of premium episodes. When you subscribe, you help us stay advertising free and editorially independent. And for everything else, we've got a website, QAnonAnonymous.com. Listeners, I'm Jonathan Risk. Oh, God. May the deep... <laughs> <laughs> Just batting a hundred for shitty new characters, my friend. May, yeah, we got anti-Semitic Christopher Walken. <laughs> we've got um, we've got uh, uh, Jonathan Risk, my new favorite character. Honestly, uh, Liv, thank you for that. Thank you, of course. Jonathan Risk. I'm Jonathan Risk. Listeners, uh, may the rewards bless you and keep you. <laughs> it's not a conspiracy. Yeah, it's about. fact. And now, today's auto cue. All right, um, Russian President Vladimir Putin, as you know, has been liberating Ukraine from Zelensky and the uh, horrific abuses being committed upon its citizens, its military, and particularly its children. Dark Outpost has learned, and we broke this news to you yesterday here on the program, that while destroying several bioweapons labs in Ukraine, Spetsna forces, Putin's Spetsna forces, uncovered several adrenochrome manufacturing labs and rescued well over 100 children, boys and girls of all ages who were being held against their will, held captive in underground tunnels and bunkers, and in some cases, in cages. These children are being groomed for child sex trafficking, but not necessarily in the Ukraine, but in the West, and in particular, the United States of America.